Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Redemption Church. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. Now that's coming up this week, so it's, I guess none of you guys are traveling to go see family, or maybe you haven't got going yet, but uh, hopefully it'll be a good week. Uh, before we jump in this morning, I just want to take a few moments and pray. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for this, uh, this morning. We thank you for this time together. I thank you for this family of believers that you've given us. I thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you you came to save us and to rescue us and to make us heirs with him. That We are called sons and daughters of God, that we are your children. Thank you for who you've made us. You've given us a new identity. I pray, Lord, that this week, even as we give thanks, or at least we sit down and eat turkey together and, uh, and call it Thanksgiving, I pray that you would fill our heart with thanks for, for who you are, for what you've done, for who you've made us through Christ, and for what you've called us to do. And would you give us a heart of gratitude that leads us to a generous life, a life that gives uh, generously to others as we've been given to generously also. I pray for us this morning that your Holy Spirit would be at work, uh, that you would be speaking to each one of us, that you would make Christ known to us, that you would make the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ known to each one of us. You know what we each need to hear. You know what needs to be said. We trust that you will say it and that you'll have us hear uh, what you'd have us hear. Your Holy Spirit, be at work in us, make Christ known and may we leave from this place making Christ known to others. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're uh, kind of finishing up this uh, series in First Peter. It's this week and next week. And then we'll be done with First Peter and we'll kind of enter into the Advent uh, season. And so this morning we're going to be uh, in chapter 5. So if you want to turn there, we can. But let me ask before we get started, uh, what do you wish that Redemption Church was like? What do you wish we were like as a church? Now, I know that question is, is a little crazy. Most of you probably have no, no, nothing, no flaws at Redemption Church, right? No idea that there would be anything wrong here. I'm going to ask you just to like think really hard, to get outside of the box, and to pretend like maybe there's something to wish for, and, and, and think, what do you wish we were like at Redemption Church? What other churches do you maybe wish we could emulate or that we could look like, right? Maybe it's a church that you went to in another town or another place. Maybe the church you grew up in. Maybe it's a church who has your favorite author or your favorite speaker as the lead pastor. Maybe it's a church that has certain kind of music or a certain kind of experience that you'd really enjoy being a part of. And if you're looking, like if you're church shopping, if, you, if you're maybe new to town and you're looking around for a church, what kind of church are you looking for? And do you know what it's going to look like when you find it? Will you know it when you see it? I think maybe even some of us would, would have an idea of a church, would like, uh, th that the church we would wish for maybe only exists in our imagination, but it's worth searching for because it's good. So what kind of church do you wish that we were? What kind of church do you want? Is it a church with a particular type of kids' ministry, maybe a particular missions emphasis, maybe a particular look for small groups or maybe Sunday school? What is it? What church do you wish we were like? Now, I'm not mad at you if you have some ideas on how we could get better, right? I do too. 
And I'm not going to be hurt if you had a really great experience somewhere else and you kind of wish that it would happen here the exact same way. I've been there. And I'll even try to swallow the pill that maybe there's a more charismatic or a more articulate preacher that you like out there. Other than, you know, Reggie or Brent. That's a joke. I'm just kidding. The truth is, there's great churches out there, right? There are great churches out there. We read books from other churches. We watch videos from other churches. We kind of are in touch with other churches, maybe through family or through friends. And there's great churches out there having great impact, blessing lives, blessing cities. And I want Redemption Church to be one of those churches, right? And I want us to be able to celebrate what the Lord is doing in those other churches. I want us to be one of those churches, and I want us to be able to celebrate what God is doing in other churches. But to be able to celebrate what God is doing elsewhere, I believe we have to be content and bought into what Christ is doing here. So this morning I want us to have kind of a heart-to-heart about we who found ourselves at Redemption Church, just having a heart-to-heart and see how 1 Peter 5, 1-11 through speaks to us particularly at Redemption Church this morning. So let's just read that scripture together. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 through 11. It says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, I asked you those questions at the beginning, and I've asked you to think outside the box and and try to answer them a little bit, and I think it's only fair then that I answer them too, right? So I wish that we were kind of like Imago Dei Community Church in Portland, right? Years ago, I read Rick McKinley's book. That's the pastor at Imago Dei. It was called This Beautiful Mess, and I found myself longing to be a a part of a church that would, like, make great art to reach the community, to spread the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. I longed to be a part of the church where they were like befriending those in need and befriending the marginalized, right? They were like renovating parks with people from different classes and, um, and doing things together. I wanted to be a church. They had a story about setting up a sidewalk farmer's market type deal for people who couldn't afford groceries so that people could come and they could go shopping and they could thump watermelons and whatever and take their groceries home. And so it wasn't just a church leave, leaving 
groceries on the doorstep for somebody who was poor. It was a church engaging with and knowing and, and valuing the people, right? I love that picture. I want to be a church like that. Sometimes I wish we were like Soma Church. Like if you've heard us talk about Jeff Vanderstelt, and that's one of the churches he helped plant. Uh, sometimes I want to be kind of like them, where people apparently just share the gospel with the most difficult people all the time, and they enter into their missional community life, and it's just this great, happy family, and they eat and they feast on like great steaks and stuff, and they just start singing praises to God during dinner, and everybody's so super spiritual. It sounds awesome. I would like to be a part of that. That's pretty cool. I'd like to have the children's ministry that North Point has in Atlanta, Andy Stanley's church. It's like entering a Disney theme park. I know it's not for everybody, but it's not even just about the Disney theme park. Like, they are pointing everything and putting all kinds of investment into reaching children and families, and it's amazing. I love it. I think it's pretty cool. I'd like to listen to John Piper preach to me every week in this little room. That'd be even better. Sometimes I'll scale it back. I wish we were like some of the other bigger local churches in the area, right? I wish we had their money. I wish we had their influence. I wish we had their notoriety. I wish we had more ministry happening like they appear to, more stories of how God is using us to bless the city. Those are things I think about. Now let's put our dreams and put my dreams and your dreams, let's put those up next to the dreams of the group of people that Peter is talking to in chapter 5 and throughout this letter to the elect exiles and dispersion, the sojourners living among Gentiles who could be hostile towards Christians, right? Peter's been calling them throughout this letter to joyfully follow the example of Christ into suffering and into sacrifice to the glory of God and to the advancement of his kingdom. And there's no, like, wish dreams being granted here for anybody in his letter. He doesn't say, like, if you just suffer for a little while... Eventually, you'll finally get a taste of the day when Christianity is accepted by Rome, right? When it's their religion, and there won't be a threat of social or even physical uh, persecution and violence. He doesn't say that. No, Peter hasn't even hinted at that possibility, really, in this letter. And he definitely doesn't promise that if they grin and bear it long enough, that they'll taste the success of having, like, a megachurch where so much good is happening that books will be written about how we do church for churches so they can do church like our church, right? It doesn't go into that. That's not even a thing in this letter. Instead, it's just live your life joyfully to the glory of God, embracing suffering even to death as a God-honoring sacrifice. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. That's a promise. That right there. That the chief shepherd, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. That's a promise to participate in glorifying in the glorifying of Christ for eternity, which is our ultimate created purpose, is to glorify God. And so that's a promise to live life most satisfied and most full of joy for eternity. It's what you were created for. It's a promise of ultimate restoration to satisfied living, right? But it promises nothing for the here and now. It promises nothing in the way of like worldly relief and worldly comfort and worldly success for the here and now. So we're going to move on and see how Peter addresses three groups of people 
in this passage. And the first is the elders in the church. And Peter tells these elders first to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And that stood out to me the most in this passage is to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Because one of the quickest ways, I think, for the enemy to like thwart the ministry here or anywhere is to get the elders and the pastors and the leaders to care about shepherding some other flock or some flock that doesn't actually exist or some platform or some group of people that's outside of what is actually among us, some, something maybe even in our imagination. One of the quickest ways for the enemy to thwart the ministry here in anywhere is to make us jealous or to envy some other church, some other flock, some other great story of what God is doing somewhere else. But to be able to celebrate what God is doing elsewhere, I believe, we have to be content and bought in where God has us, right? We have to live out of a belief that whatever God is doing in those who are among us, however mundane or however extraordinary, how small the church, how big the church, whatever God is doing in the flock that is among us, it is God writing a great story for us, a great story using us where we are, and that this is the best part of the story that we could possibly be a part of. In other words, he has us right where he wants us. I mean, this is individually and corporately, but we're talking about the church here. He has us right where he wants us for our good, for our joy, and ultimately for his glory and for the advancement of the gospel. And then he goes on to tell the elders to exercise oversight willingly, not for shameful gain, not domineering. And I think another way for the enemy to attack a local body of Christ is to attempt pastors and elders and overseers and leaders to use people to glorify themselves. We've seen that happen even in our own day and in our own culture. We've seen leaders use the body to glorify themselves. And it's another way the enemy will attack the local body of Christ. Or to do, he'll make them want to do for others so that they will owe them something back later, right? Or to show up just because you have to and to serve out of obligation because, like, if I don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. And to believe that that's on your shoulders and to believe that's on our shoulders. Or to get, another way that we're tempted in this is to get our identity wrapped up in what the numbers look like at church, Right? who's checking out the church, how much influence we have in the community. He says to exercise oversight willingly, not for shameful gain, not domineering. And then he says and charges the elders to lead by example. There's obviously a lot in here for us, for me as a pastor and elder, but this is going to, it applies for all of us. What's the example that we ought to lead in? We're charged to lead by example. What's the example that we ought to be leading in? Ultimately, an elder's very best example, I believe, is in looking to the chief shepherd, Jesus, for their full reward. To look to Christ for their full reward. That's the best example we can give. We look to Christ for our full reward of life lived for the purpose of glorifying him in all things. So that that an elder is able to go first and joyfully embracing suffering as a sacrifice, glorifying to God and for the advancement of his kingdom. And so that they're able to joyfully serve exactly where they are with the flock who's among them and those who are, uh, and, and not be, I'm sorry, 
to ably, uh, joyfully serve those who are actually here among us and not be discontent where God has placed us. And that we would go first into the refiner's fire, knowing that it's in the suffering and in the sacrifice there's something good there for us because God uses it to, to make us more like him, that we'd be praying without ceasing, loving earnestly, stewarding our gifts for the good of others. Those are all ways in which we ought to be an example, but first and ultimately what that looks like is that we go to the chief shepherd first, right? Is that we look to the chief shepherd Jesus first. Now, I'm increasingly convinced that we are all better off the more we know about each other, right? The more we know about each other's temptations, the more we know about each other's idols. When we know what idols tend to persuade each of us to worship them, then we all can kind of partner together to keep reminding each other of Christ, to keep reminding each other that Jesus is better than anything else that you would bow down to or that you might be persuaded to bow down to. So I need you to know me, and I need to know you, and you need to know each other so that we, can, we know how to tell each other that Jesus is better because we know where we're persuaded opposite. So because of that, I want to put some tangibles along with what Peter's exposing about pastors and elders and how we are tempted. All right, go through that. How does that actually look? Well, we are tempted, pastors and elders are tempted to look at the successes of other pastors and elders in other churches to define what success ought to look like here. That's a temptation. We're tempted to paint a picture of our own church for others that maybe doesn't even line up with reality. Why would we do that? It's because we want to be looked up to by others and because we want to taste the glory of doing church well, right? We want to feel successful. We want to be admired. Those are temptations. Like the devil whispers that stuff in our ear. Sometimes we're tempted to make our jobs and our accomplishments stack up well next to other vocations so that people can look at our accomplishments in the same way that they might look at professional, other professional role accomplishments. We just want to taste the feeling of success, the taste of our own glory. But we need to be reminded, because we're persuaded and, and tempted with those idols, we need to be reminded that our success is found in the victory of Christ only. And that nothing will ever grant us more value than being cherished as a child of the living God. We need to be reminded of that. The elders and pastors at Redemption Church also face the temptation to believe that God is working in the ministry of others in bigger and better ways than he's working here. But we need to be reminded that God is working all things to the, together for the good. Right? Romans 8.28. And that his story is better than anything that any of us would come up with. We're also tempted to believe that when somebody chooses to sin among us, like in this church, we're tempted to believe that that's on us, and that we failed. That's real. We're tempted to believe that we failed them and that their sin is on, now on our shoulders and that the fallout and the hurt that follows is because of us, right? We're tempted to believe that. We're tempted to buy into the lies that our church doesn't look like our uh, wish dream churches because we aren't good enough pastors or elders. And so we're tempted to put that on our shoulders and to bear that burden and to blame ourselves and to carry guilt and to carry shame. But also, we can be tempted to believe that we aren't like others because we don't have the people that others have. 
And so we would want to take the burden off of our shoulders and put it on the congregation and blame the congregation and put the burden on your shoulders. But we need to be reminded that we aren't the chief shepherd. It's not about how great we are, but about how great Christ is, right? It's all about how great Christ is, and we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded that he took the burden, and that nobody changes hearts, nobody changes mind apart from the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that changes hearts and minds. That's some pretty nasty stuff. We're tempted with it. I'm glad that I have people, the other elders around me, to like help like we're identifying and like keep speaking that stuff into each other and speaking the gospel into it. But you need to know it as well. It's some pretty nasty stuff. But I don't want you guys to all get on your high horse because you got some nasty stuff too and we're about to get there. That's a joke. I'm trying to lighten the mood. Anyways. See in verse 5, you see that word likewise. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. It's one sentence. When he deals with the second group of people, it's one sentence, right? Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. It's one sentence, but it's so encouraging to me. And it's not because it finally just flips the conversation and the spotlight onto somebody else, but it's because it tells me that we're all in this together. We're all in this together. It's one sentence. And Peter doesn't have to go and list a whole new group of things. He just says, likewise, right? Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. We all do the same stuff. We're all tempted to believe the same lies. It just plays out a little different depending on where we're coming from. See, here's what I know. Is that church folks are tempted to look at the successes of other churches and other pastors and other elders to define the success of their church as well. I've been there. I've done that. Right? It may look slightly different because of where we're coming from, but we're tempted in very much the same way. The church can be tempted to look at the successes of others, uh, other pastors and other churches to define what success ought to look like here. You might say, like, if only our church would try this or that program that the so-and-so is doing at this other church, then maybe, you know, things would work out here or if these people would just get it together and know what they're doing. No doubt that folks at Redemption Church even face the temptation to believe that God is working in the ministry of other churches in bigger and better ways than he's working here. Right? You might face the temptation to feel a little jealous of other churches, to have a little church envy, maybe think they have it pretty good, maybe think you should go check it out because they got some pretty cool stuff going on there. I'm not saying you're not allowed to do that. I'm just, just throwing it out there. The problem, though, of course, is this. The jealousy makes it pretty hard to really celebrate what God is doing anyway. Right? Jealousy makes it pretty difficult to be <laughs> excited about what God is doing anyway. You could be tempted, just as we are, to buy into the lies that our church doesn't look like your wish dream church because the pastors and elders aren't good enough, or that they don't have it together, or maybe they don't have the whatever, the insight. In some ways, you'd be right. We aren't, right? But do you want a church that is built on the talent of a person or on the foundation of the chief shepherd? Do you want a church that's built on the talent of a person or on the foundation of the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ? We need to be reminded that it's Christ who's building his church and that he will do it. It doesn't matter who's doing what. Christ is building his church and he'll do it. And you should be saying amen to that. 
No one here at Redemption Church is big enough to get in his way. Nobody's ever been not talented enough to get in the way of Jesus, to get in the way of God. Moses couldn't speak, hardly, right? Nobody's big enough to get in the way. No one's talented enough to build something bigger and better than what Jesus is doing. And like I said before, we're in this together. Elders are called to lead people to Jesus who lead people to Jesus. And the church is called to lead people to Jesus who lead people to Jesus. It's all about leading people to the chief shepherd. Like I said, we're called to each other. We're called to those who are among us, to this place and at this time to look to Christ together and to celebrate success as he defines our success, to celebrate the things that he's doing among us together. As, we have, as I was going through this, I was reminded of this scene in John, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 21, where Jesus, after his resurrection, has had breakfast with the disciples on the beach. They had fish for breakfast. I think that's a little weird. I don't like fish for breakfast, but whatever. Um, and then Jesus pulls Peter, Peter, the author of this letter that we're reading. Jesus pulls him aside, and he asks him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And Jesus instructs him uh, to feed my lambs. And then he asks the same question again. Peter, with the same answer, Jesus says, tend my sheep. Then a third time in the same question, and Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then he says to Peter this. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. That's rough. He pulls him aside. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, right? Okay, I'm telling you, you're going to die for my glory. That's rough. And so because it's rough, it's not too crazy what Peter says next. He looks around and he sees John, I guess, finishing up his fish. And he asks Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Like, what about John? Like, if I got to go with the, with the stretching of the arms and stuff, like, what are you going to do with John? It's going to be bad, right? You know? Like, and Jesus, listen to Jesus' answer. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. If it's my will that he remain until I come, that's like, if it's my will that he lives forever and that you die, what is that to you? You follow me. In a lot of ways, the same Peter, years later, much more wise, with much more wisdom, has now said a very similar things to these Christians in which he is writing to. And therefore, he's saying it to us, to a redemption church. Wherever Christ has called you, wherever Christ is calling you, you follow Christ, even to death, even if it doesn't look as good as something else. Don't be distracted by what Christ is doing over there or with that person or with that church. You follow Christ with those among you because that is where he has you for his purposes in your life and in the grander story of redemption and restoration. He has you right where he wants you. So it makes no difference what I'm doing over there. You follow me. You follow Jesus. 
And I think a cool like, kind of byproduct of that mindset that we're called to is that as we get rid of jealousy, as we are fully con- convinced that God has us exactly where he wants us in his story of redemption and restoration, we'll then be able to truly celebrate what God is doing with John. We'll be able to celebrate, truly celebrate what God is doing in the church across town or with the superstar pastor or with the megachurches or with our brothers and sisters around the world. You know, one thing that struck me through my relationship with the pastors at Sojourn Church in Uganda, a church that we, 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 uh, we support with the Handmade Fair and all that, we get to talk every so often. I've gone over there a couple times. But the greatest way we encourage each other is just to know that God has each of us where we are. Right? He doesn't need me in Africa. God doesn't need me in Africa. He's got B-dubs. And he doesn't need B-dubs here. He's got us. And he's moving through each of us in, in his own way and in his own place. And it's, that's encouraging. That's encouraging to me that I don't have the responsibility of reaching all of Africa. That God's got somebody there doing his thing there, no matter what it looks like. And that's something to celebrate. And that's not to say that God doesn't want us to send people out. Don't hear me say that. It's just to say that God is using us each in his own way to accomplish his purposes, and it's beautiful. And it's worth digging into wherever he has us. It's worth uh, celebrating together. Let's finish Peter's charge here to this third, the third group, which is really just all of us. It's Peter 5, 5 through 11. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, Peter has laid out a call throughout the letter, right, to embrace suffering and sacrifice for the glory of God and the advance of the gospel to follow in Christ's example in doing that, who laid down his life, who went to the cross, to follow in that uh, example who embraced suffering and sacrifice for the glory of God. And here, as he kind of begins to wrap up the letter, he calls us finally to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and to follow Christ together. There's so much that we could talk about, even in this little bit, there's so much in Peter, but I want to try to remain focused and kind of We'll start landing the plane, but I just want to highlight just a couple quick things further that I think are super important for us at Redemption Church today. Number one is he says to clothe yourself in humility toward one another, all of you, right? See, it's with humility that an elder and a pastor is called to lead the flock among him. It's not with vain hopes of self-glory, not to be seen, it's not to be worshipped, Right? humbly it's 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 to humbly embrace suffering and sacrifice so that others may see christ alone our hope as elders as pastors as leaders ought to be that people see right past us and see jesus right elders and pastors are called to lead people among them to jesus 
in humility. And likewise, it's with humility that the church subjects themselves to leadership. It's not with an attitude of I could do it better or, or boasting or, or pride or, or whatever, or being puffed up, but an attitude that humbly trusts Jesus. It's an attitude that humbly trusts Jesus, the chief shepherd, to ultimately lead you through those who, whose charge you are in. And a hope not to just have all your desires and fed, or your desires fed and met, but that but to have an attitude that joyfully embraces the loss of your own desires and your own sacrifice so that others may see Jesus through the body of Christ among you. That's humility to lay yourself down like that and to lay your desires down like that so that others might know Christ. We are called to lead people to Jesus who lead people to Jesus. And I love what Peter says in verse 6 and 7. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's the good news of the passage, right? I mean, that's the good news of the gospel, that God is in control, that through Christ it's proven God is in control. He's writing the whole story, that God is powerful enough to do it, that God is powerful enough to finish it, that God is good, that God is loving, that he cares for you that he cares for you, that he cares for me, that he cares for us. So he can be trusted with all our worries about what he's doing. He can be trusted with all our anxieties about what he's doing. When we can't see how our suffering or our sacrifice or our having to lay something down makes sense, especially since we didn't hear Jesus tell John that he has to, to die too, or especially since he didn't ask so-and-so to give up the thing, or I see somebody else getting to do whatever, especially, so when we don't see how our suffering makes sense, especially since we, we see the church across the street or across the state or across the country prospering how we'd like to prosper, when we can't make sense of our situation, he can be trusted because he cares for us, right? Jesus can be trusted because he cares for us and he has it all under control. Jesus died and he was raised from the grave. Jesus died and rose from the dead. That's power, that's ability, that's love, that's goodness, like beyond comprehension. He can be trusted. And this, of course, is not just true, like as we think in church world and in church terms, as far as like our body and what we look like and what we do under the name of Redemption Church. It's, it's true for all of life. We can cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. He has proven it. And because he's coming and he'll be exalted, he cares for us. Peter tells us to be sober-minded and to be watchful. And warns that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's, that's powerful language, isn't it? Jared Wilson in his book, The Pastor's Justi Justification, says it this way. There is someone who wants you and your church dead. There's someone who wants you and your church dead. So keep your head on a swivel. The call here is to stay clear-headed and to be on watch where we know the enemy is prowling, right? We know he's coming. We know he's prowling. We know he's looking to devour. There's somebody who wants us dead. So keep our head on a swivel. We keep watch and ask the question, how would the devil hijack 
our sacrifice? How would the adversary hijack our sacrifice in order to enslave us instead of to set others free? Right? Would he play on our wish dreams of what church should be like? Would he play on our wish dreams of what our life should look like and on, on our unmet desires? Would he use our tendency to look and to compare ourselves with others? Would he use our tendency to be glory seekers? Would he use our tendency to believe that the hope of the world falls on our shoulders? Would he devour us by leading us to strike at each other, to take each other out, to blame each other? Would he divide us? Would he just seek to divide us and devour us that way? Church, the point here is stay alert, right? Because there's He's all around. He's trying to find his way in. And Proverbs 9.13 says that Proverbs 9.13 says that the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. Right? In other words, the lies that the enemy wants us to hear are loud and seductive. They grab our attention and they grab at our hearts with their sheer volume and their repetition. I've done some exercises with a lot of you as far as like trying to identify our idols and the things that we are persuaded to go after and, uh, and try to identify some of the, the lies we believe when we worship those idols about how they're better than Jesus. And so the question is, are you alert? Are you aware? Are you aware of the lies that you will be told by the enemy? Are you ready with the truth of the gospel that Jesus cares for you and that he has you right where he wants you for your good and for the good of all? Finally, I just want to clarify that this message isn't really meant to pr- persuade anybody that Redemption Church is exactly as it ought to be and that you guys all just need to deal with it. That's not the point. It's not. And it isn't meant to say, this message isn't meant to say that it, it's not worth dreaming together and that it's not worth working together to do more and to, and to, and to, to advance. Of course it's worth dreaming together. Of course it's worth thinking about what else we can do together. Uh, it's, it's because it's all about advancing the kingdom, advancing the gospel, right? Of course it's worth dreaming together. That's not what I mean to say, so if you heard that, I'm sorry. But it's meant to say that we are in this together, right? And our tendency to wish we were something else or something other can be used against us. And he, the enemy just takes those little things, those little seeds and twists them to get to us, Right? Our tendency to wish we were something else or something other can be used against us. I mean, it seems evident to me, like in our country and beyond, in our current cultural environment, that the devil, the enemy, the adversary has pounced on the church and is seeking to divide it and to destroy it. I mean, we're divided all over the place, right? The church is divided. We're totally pitted against one another. And there's opportunity right now to take it even further and for the enemy to sink his teeth in. But this is what I believe, is that what the, minute, what the enemy means for destruction, our Redeemer Jesus means for redemption. So I'm at, I'm at rest knowing that Jesus will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. It may involve some suffering and some sacrifice, but he'll do it. Christ will build his church. He'll do it. 
I also went this direction this morning with this particular uh, message uh, because I want to draw attention to the fact that we, we have cause to celebrate with our brothers and sisters around the world and with each other because the Lord is at work. It's good to celebrate what is happening elsewhere. Right? The enemy would have us play the comparison game when God moves in a visible way somewhere else and say, get jealous, get envious, whatever. And he used that to divide us. But it's good to celebrate what God is doing all around the world. When God moves elsewhere, we ought to be rejoicing and celebrating because it's proof that he's at work. It's proof that he's still at work and that he's doing this thing and that Christ is building the church and that the gospel is advancing, the kingdom is, is advancing, and that he's at work and that we are in good hands. If there's cause to celebrate around the world, wherever, for what God is doing with our brothers and sisters, it's cause to celebrate because it means we're in good hands. It means he's doing his thing, right? If we didn't hear about it from somewhere else, we might not believe. I'm going to end with verse 10. I said earlier that Peter like, never hints that after a little while we'll get a taste of some sentiment of worldly success or worldly comfort or... or uh, worldly success or worldly comfort, but he does say that after a little while, Christ himself will come back and life will be amazing in ways that I don't think we even yet understand, right? He says this in verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So my prayer for us this morning is that, is that we at Redemption Church will find joy and hope in this truth so that we live life out of that expectancy and out of that assurance. What Jesus said he will do, he will do. We live out of that expectancy and that assurance so that when the lies of the enemy attempt to seduce us away from this truth, we stand firm in our faith that he is good, that he's loving, he is he's in control, that he has set us apart for himself, that we are his, that he cares for us, and that he can be trusted. We're going to move into a time of response uh, as we do each Sunday. And uh, during this time, we're going to do a few things. The band will come up and they'll lead us in a time of worship through music. It's a time where you can stand and sing praises to God together. It's a time where you can sit and reflect and pray. You can grab somebody to pray with as well. We also give uh, our communion, our, not communion basket, our tithe and offering basket is in the back. Uh, if you're a member of the church and if you want to give, that's where you can give um, as an act of worship and as a, an act of trusting God, like trusting that he's, you're following him no matter what, like we just talked about. And then also every Sunday we do communion, so we come down this center aisle and we go this way or that way, and you dip the, take a piece of bread, dip it in the wine or the juice. And when we do that, we remember the, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that was given for us. Right? And it's a proclamation to one another as a community and a reminder to one another as a community that while we're tempted in all those ways that we're tempted to be persuaded to worship other idols, none of those other idols ever came and died for you. And none of those other idols ever came back to life for you to bring you life. It's a reminder and it's a proclamation that he's good, that he's loving, that he's in control, that he set, up, set us apart for himself.
that we are his, that he cares for us, and that he can be trusted. So if you're a member of this church, uh, I mean, if you're not a member of this church or whether you are a member of this church, if you're a Christian, we invite you to come and explain that to one another and remember that together. If you're not a Christian, we'd ask you not to do that, uh, not because we want to single you out, but because we're saying that that's what we believe and that that's that we're proclaiming Jesus as Christ. And so if you can't proclaim that, what we would ask is that you hear our proclamation and you hear an invitation. He cares for you. Cast your cares upon him. So I'm going to pray for us and then move into that song. Our Father, we uh, thank you again for this time together. We thank you that through Christ, you have proven who you are and what you're about. That you are all-powerful. Christ died and he rose from the grave. You're powerful. You're in control. You care for us. I mean, you came for us. You sent your son for us. You went out for our salvation. You came out for our rescue. You care for us. You love us. You are good. And you're writing a story that's better than any story we can imagine. Lord, help us to trust that that's true, no matter what our part in the story may look like to us. Help us to remember that we can trust you good beyond our understanding. Help us to remember that Jesus is better than all the idols that the enemy would have us chase after. There's nothing there for us. Life, real life, is a life lived according to the purpose which is, purposes which you created us for, which is to glorify you in all of earth and all of creation. And so choosing to follow you is real life for us. There is no other joy or satisfaction to be found elsewhere. May your Holy Spirit like, continue to speak the gospel to our hearts, to continue to press in to reach the unreached places of our hearts with the good news that Jesus is better. And I pray, Lord, for this church that you would help us to remind each other, to proclaim to one another, to go in with one another, to to be with those among us and to follow you together no matter what you have for someone else. We love you. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.